It's time for the All Things Strange podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can check out all of our wonderful links in the description on the link tree where you can find merchandise, our Discord link where we do our live shows currently, and more. Don't forget to check out Patreon where you can find bonus episodes and stuff like that. This week's episode, The 27 Club. As chosen by our Patreon subscribers, we've got three wonderful tiers. The first tier will get you early access and after hours. The second tier will get you bonus episodes. And the third tier will allow you to vote on upcoming topics such as this one, the 27 Club. This has been on the list for a long time. It's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember hearing about the 27 Club when I was very young and it's always kind of interested me. I always thought it was a an odd kind of thing. It may have maybe just a coincidence, maybe not, but we'll get into it, you know. Yeah. Well, without any further ado, I guess, let's let's get into it. All right, what are we talking about here? The 27 Club. Many musicians and other celebrities, but this one usually is referring to mus- musicians. A yeah. lot of them seem to die at the age of 27. Kind of weird. Some people say it's just a coincidence, but is there more to it? Perhaps some of these unfortunate souls made a deal with the devil. Some names you might recognize or may not, depending on, uh, <laughs> maybe not. These are, some of these are a little older, uh, such as Brian yeah. Jones, Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, and his girlfriend, uh, who inherited his estate. Amy Winehouse, and many, many more all died at the age of 27. And at some point, when you look at the long list of names, it starts to look like more than just a coincidence. But Mm -hmm. who knows? Nobody knows where the idea or the legend of the 27 Club started. A lot of people say that it became a thing with Kurt Cobain's death. I'm not going to call it a suicide people. I'm just not going to, even though that's how it's often referred to online. But mm-hmm. <laughs> with it started with his death and it grew from there. People say it grew online or whatever. But as far as I can tell, the idea had been out there before Kurt Cobain. It just wasn't popularly um, talked about. I mean, it wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't called the 27 Club for a while, you know, like up until around Kurt Cobain's death, from what I understand. Yeah. But uh, one of the early one of the earlier mentions um, that I had seen was in uh, the magazine, The Rolling Stones, and, um, in 1969. And it was referring to the, uh, actually, the one of the founding members of The Rolling Stones, Brian Jones. And, um, yeah, they, they talk about his death in the magazine, and it was mentioned how he's not the only, like, 27-year-old musician that has died. At that age. Yeah. When, when you have so many of them dying at the age of 27, people are going to notice whether or not they call it the 27 club or not. It's just kind of a strange detail, but yeah, Kurt, Kurt Cobain, 27 club. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't list him when I said all the other names above, but he was also in the club. 
The first victim of the club that we know about, or member, I guess, the first member of the club, was a fella named Alexander Levy, who was a composer, pianist, and conductor. He lived from 1864 and perished in 1892. He was a Brazilian guy, and he was famous for a fusion of Brazilian folk music and classical music. The cause of his death is unknown. So that's the earliest one that I could find, and that's going back quite a ways. And I wonder if you dig through the records, you might find more that are earlier than that, but that's, you know, short of having access to some kind of library records or something, (laughs) you know? Yeah, with with how many deaths of uh, especially musicians, it seems to be like this this whole 27 uh, club is is like saturated with like mostly musicians. I'm sure there's, I mean, there's actors and stuff too, but... Most of them seem to be musicians, so I don't know. Maybe it's a, a, a you know, a, a Robert Jones type, uh, or I'm sorry, Robert Johnson type uh, deal where he sold his soul to the devil in order to be able to play blues, you know? Yeah. Well, that's actually the first guy I was going to talk about. There's so many people that we could not possibly talk about all of them, but there are a couple of prominent individuals that I think are worth mentioning. The first is Robert Johnson. We've talked about him before. We did an episode on the devil and music or something. I forget what we called it, but we did an episode talking about people who may or may not have sold their de- sold their souls to the devil. And Robert Johnson is probably the most famous of these by far. Yeah, He's the king of the Delta Blues. If you've never heard of him, do yourself a favor after you listen to this awesome podcast and go look him up. I'm sure you can find his music on Spotify or on YouTube or something. And he, he's really good, but he's also, his music is a little different than you, what you might be used to. He plays the blues, but he does really weird stuff. Like sometimes he'll miss a beat from a measure or he'll add a beat or something. He's, he it's really hard to describe his style. It's blues, but it's also Robert Johnson. It's, it's nobody else like him. He was mm-hmm. born in 1911 and his recordings influenced many many musicians ever since he started playing until even today people are still influenced by him uh one of the most according to a guy named Eric Clapton who you might have heard of he's one of the most influential musicians of the 20th century So Eric Clapton, Bob Dylan, Keith Richards, Robert Plant, and many more have all cited him as a major influence. And a lot of these people have also covered his songs. One of my favorites is Love in Vain by the Rolling Stones, but there are many... Great great remake. Yeah. There are many, many others, such as Traveling Riverside Blues by Led Zeppelin, Me and the Devil by The Doors, Crossroad Blues by... Just about everybody's done that one, I feel like. (laughs) Come on in my kitchen, rambling on my mind, hellhound on my trail, and many, many more. And if you listen to his sound, you might recognize it because it has been often borrowed or, uh, you know, influenced. Like, if you listen to Led Zeppelin and then go listen to Robert Johnson, you'll realize there is no Led Zeppelin without Robert Johnson. Like, he's such a heavy influence on their sound, for example. One of many, many examples. His most famous or perhaps infamous uh, song is the Crossroad Blues, which may, 
leads people to speculate that he sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads. And it's the basis for a lot of things out there in pop culture or just culture in general. For example, I don't know if you're aware of this ETA, but they made a movie starring Ralph Macchio called Crossroads, where Ralph Macchio is a a young guitarist uh, and he has a duel with the devil a musical duel, as the case may be, and the devil's musical champion was Steve Vai. Come on, dude. It doesn't get any more epic than that. It was a great movie. <laughs> I don't know if you, do you remember that yeah, one, ETA? No, yeah, yeah, for sure. The Karate yeah, Kid. It's been so long. It's been so long since I've seen it. Like, I don't remember much of it, to be honest, but I do remember that movie. The Karate Kid having a musical duel with Steve Vai. Come on. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Pretty damn good. I guess if you're willing to um, partake in some 80s cheese, it is one of those cheesy 80s movies. But if you're into that sort of thing, I highly recommend it. So Johnson had sort of a, I won't go over his whole life story because I want to talk about more than just Johnson on this episode, but he, he rambled about is what they said. You know, he would go to different towns and play music and it's said that in each town, he would uh, have a girlfriend or a lady in each town to kind of, you know, keep him company while he was there. He was sort of a ladies' man, I guess. He got around a lot. And that's part of his legend. And it's also part of his downfall, allegedly. The records on him are not very good. A lot of it is anecdotal by, you know, other musicians that knew him or played with him. Well, you know, they have stories to tell about him, but hard documentation is, it's not easy to come by from this period of time. It's not, they didn't have the internet back then. And you're talking about, you know, this just a poor guy in the South. There's, there's not much records of him at all. Although we do have a couple of marriage certificates, two marriage certificates from what I understand. What was that? Did you hear that? Oh, don't. Yeah, that was my uh, my Xbox. I forgot to turn it off. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was telling me that it's going to turn off in five minutes. How dare it. <laughs> All right. Dis- uh, so you might think that this guy's got a million albums out because of just how influential he was. But believe it or not, he only had two recording sessions in his life. That's it. Two days that he recorded. And just on those two days, he influenced, he affected everything that followed. Everything. That's just how crazy good this guy, good of a guitarist this guy was. So he recorded twice in 1936 and 1937. Total of 29 songs were recorded with 13 alternate takes. This There's a really weird detail from the recordings. It's said that when he recorded, he wouldn't face the microphone or I'm not sure if it was a microphone or sometimes back then to record stuff, they actually just had sort of like, um, kind of like a megaphone, you know, (laughs) that would just capture the sound. I'm not sure exactly what technology was used to record him, but when he recorded the, he faced the wall, he would not face the recording instrument. And it's the tales told say that he was superstitious and he feared that the recording would actually capture his soul so he he was reluctant to record, and when they finally did get him to record, he wouldn't face the recording. He would only face the wall. Some people say maybe he just liked the way it sounded better, but 
I, I don't know about that because I don't think they have they had really like live tracking where you could monitor yourself in real time. You just recorded and then you would play it back later. And since he did this both times, it's doubtful that that's the reason because he would have no idea what the recording would sound like after the fact. So he wouldn't have that mm-hmm. that chance to go back and forth and try different recording methods. But anyways, he was apparently very superstitious. And it's, it's crazy to think that he only recorded two days. He had two recordings. One of those wasn't even in a real recording studio. It was just in a hotel room. And based on that, he had such a heavy influence on musicians that followed him. Now, he was not a superstar during his lifetime. He did make money and he did fairly well regionally, but he was not one of these world famous musicians during his lifetime. He was only famous in local areas, but he was also had a reputation of making a decent amount of money from his gigs and he was pretty good at getting money out of those gigs. And he spent those money, those money, he spent the money on alcohol and women. He was known to drink a lot and uh, carouse with women a lot. And this is in the South where a lot of people were Christian and a lot of people frowned on these sorts of things. And blues music in general was considered to be the devil's music, especially secular songs, which, you know, pretty much most blues music is. So he was considered to be, you know, kind of an unholy dude, I guess. There are stories about that where he would, you know, try to court a lady and the parents would kick him out or chase him away or something because he was a one of them, one of them evil blues musicians. <laughs> it sounds silly, but, you know, that's how it was back then. But anyways, he was not super famous during his lifetime. And this is why if you're going to make a deal with the devil, you need to be specific because he probably just requested to be famous or good at the guitar or something. But, you know, if he asked to be famous, he did not specify that it had to be during his lifetime. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's... It's kind of interesting reading about the history because there are some people like John, John Hammond, who's like a record recording dude, went looking for him to have him do a concert at Carnegie Hall. He was a huge fan of his music when he, when he heard the recordings. But by the time he was able to go look for him, uh, Johnson was no longer alive. And this is not an isolated story. Others sought him out after he passed away not knowing that he had died at the young age of 27 years old. So it seems like as soon as he died, that's the moment he became famous. Ironically, mm-hmm. almost as Which if, is a deal. It sounds like, sounds like that's a deal the devil would make, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's, it's ironic too, because he didn't make, he made some money. He did pretty good, but he did not make, life-changing mansion-building dollars off of his music, but other musicians did, like the Rolling Stones who borrowed riffs and style and songs and everything. And I'm not ripping on the Rolling Stones. I'm just saying they borrowed from him pretty heavily, as did Led Zeppelin, and they made so much money. But Johnson did not profit off of his, his own work the way others did. Again, 
maybe the way that a deal would go down if you're working with the devil. Robert Johnson's death in itself is kind of an interesting story. He died on August 16, 1938, at the age of 27, and it looks like he was poisoned. The records are kind of sketchy. He was he was a poor guy, and he was buried. We're not even sure where he was buried. It was probably a pauper's grave with just, you know, the cheapest possible casket and the cheapest possible way of burying him. Uh, you know, hopefully he was given the respect he deserved in that. But uh, the records are are not very good for that. And the records are not good. They did not do like a like an autopsy. They didn't do an investigation. We just know that he died. Witnesses say that he was poisoned, that he was probably, his whiskey was poisoned, and he took several days, three days to die, and he had a very, very painful death, excruciating, coughing up blood, hemorrhaging in a lot of pain before he finally died. And again, if the devil's going to kill you, he's not going to do it quickly, right? He's going to make you suffer. Mm -hmm. So as the story goes, Robert Johnson was playing at a piano hall as he did. He played a lot of piano halls. Sometimes he would play on street corners or whatever. But this incident, he was playing in a piano hall. And some versions of the story say he flirted with another man's woman or wife. But it's hard to believe that somebody would murder somebody for flirting with your wife because that sort of thing happens all the time. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But um, this, uh, it was the story goes that the the husband owned the bar that he was playing in, and if you own a bar and your wife is there, dudes are going to be hitting her up all the time because that's what people go to. That's like ninety eight percent of the reason why people go to bars <laughs> is to mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. to hook up, right? So I find that hard to believe that he was just flirting. Um, probably there was a little bit of hanky panky going on there because Robert Johnson was known for that sort of thing. He was known to, um, date women and, uh, go home with them and try to get a place to stay out of them. Uh, one of his friends said that he would specifically date homely women who didn't have very good options. And, uh, so he was, um, I don't know. He was very, very good at getting the ladies to do what, what he wanted them to. And he also, well, blues musicians in general had the reputation of being able to like mesmerize women. They didn't call it that back then. Cause I don't know if that was before mesmer or not, but, uh, that's just sort of like the reputation that blues musicians had anyways. So he was at this bar, the husband is pissed off at him and he orders a bottle of whiskey. So they bring him a bottle of whiskey and the cap is open. I guess back in the day, they would bring your alcohol to your table sealed. They don't do that anymore, at least not where I live. A lot of the time, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But anyways, they brought it to him and it had already been opened. His friend, when before he, he went to take a drink out of the bottle and his friend knocked it out of his hand onto the floor and his friend said, hey, don't ever take a drink out of a bottle that's been opened. You know, he's trying to help him. And Robert Johnson said, hey, don't ever hit a bottle of whiskey out of my hand. So he ordered another bottle and the second bottle came with, again, the lid opened and he drank that bottle 
And I'm thinking, is this like a 750 milliliter bottle? Because I'm thinking it must be a smaller bottle. I don't know. (laughs) But I didn't say anywhere. Anyways, he drank the second bottle and then he he died a horrible death, uh, you know, from poisoning, apparently. There's different discussions that, you know, it might have been syphilis. It might have been this. It might have been that. But based on the timing and what the witnesses say, it does look like it could have been poison. Nobody knows exactly what type of poison it was. Again, they did not do an autopsy or anything like that. There are several possibilities that were widely available at the time. Uh, Some people suggested strychnine, but strychnine doesn't match his symptoms. You'd have to drink a lot of strychnine in order to die from it, apparently. Usually it would just make you sick. You would not be able to hide the taste in alcohol because it tastes and smells very strongly. And it would kill you in hours rather than days. Some people suggest that mothballs were actually dissolved in there. That would be an easier way to do it. But whatever the case, he died very a very painful death, a very slow and painful death over three days. One idea that occurred to me is what if this bar owner was like a serial killer, but he only killed people that flirted with his wife. <laughs> you just go around <laughs> killing people. Cause like I said, you know, if you're, if your woman's at a bar, she's getting flirted with, you can't, there's no way around it. It's just going to happen. So if you own a bar and your, your woman is there and you don't like her getting flirted with, it's almost like you're looking for trouble. So maybe this guy was a serial killer. I don't know. I guess so, it's possible. I mean, yeah, for sure. So the the legend goes that Johnson sold his soul to the devil. And there are a lot of conflicting stories as to how this might have happened. The most common story that you'll hear is that he sold his soul at the crossroads. And before he did this, he was not that good at guitar. You know, he was nothing special. And then he went away for a while, a short period of time. And then he came back and all of a sudden... He was really, really good at the guitar. So good that it sounds like two people are playing at once. If you go listen to his recording, it's just him playing guitar and singing by himself. There's no band. There's no drummer. There's no bass player. It's just one guy playing guitar. But if you listen to it, it sounds like two people playing guitar. It's pretty wild stuff. And Eric Clapton, for example, said that he could not figure out how Johnson was able to play the stuff that he played. Like he just, he couldn't figure out how he did it. It's, it's like kind of crazy. There are legends that maybe he added an extra string, like a seven string, seventh string to the guitar. Maybe, I guess, I don't know. Johnson also had really long fingers. So that probably didn't hurt, but there are other people with long fingers who play guitar. So I don't know if that really explains it, but anyways, one way or another, he attained an extreme talent at playing guitar. He was really good. So there, there are also stories that, um, aside from meeting the devil at the crossroads at midnight and making a bargain there, there's another story, other variations, for example, that he did the same thing in a graveyard. But interestingly enough, it turns out that Johnson and one of his friends named Ike Zimmerman 
practiced in a graveyard at night at one point because it was a quiet area and nobody would bother them there and they would not bother other people. You can imagine some musicians loudly practicing that would wake up the neighbors probably. So that's, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the Robert Johnson myth and story. A lot of people to this day believe that he did sell his soul to the devil. Uh, I don't know. It's just a really interesting and weird story, especially the way he died and the way that he gained such an incredible amount of skill in such a short period of time. But some people are just naturally talented. All right, ETA, did you have any musicians that you wanted to talk about before I start in on uh, Brian Jones? Um, I mean, I just had a long list of uh, different musicians uh, from different decades and like, like the cause of their death, you know? All right, let's hear some of them. Well, I don't, I don't know if I want to necessarily, I don't know if, how many people are you trying, uh, trying to cover? Cause I don't want to cover it if you're covering it. I just did notes on Brian Jones and then that's it. Okay. So I guess I'll, I'll rifle off a, um, a list of names here. Uh, the causes, uh, their, you know, their birth date and their, their death date there and, and why they supposedly, uh, passed away. So let's see, we already did Robert Johnson. The next one I have on my list is, uh, Nat Joff and he was a, uh, swing jazz pianist. Uh, he was born January 1st, 1918, and he died August 5th, 1945, from complications of blood pressure issues. Uh, the next one is uh, R&B singer Joe Henderson. He was born on April 24th, 1937, died on October 24th, 1964, from a heart attack. And you'll see, like, like throughout this whole list and stuff, like... Uh, all the causes of death aren't necessary. I mean, it's, it's a wide array of different types of death, you know, all, all kinds of different stuff, you know, so it doesn't always seem to be the same thing. It's a, lot, it's a wide variety of causes of why these people died. But uh, let's see. Next one that I have on my list is a lead guitarist from the band Spanky and Our Gang, Malcolm Hale. He was born on May 12th, 1941. He died on October 31st, 1968 from uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. So that's a different one. But uh, yeah, there's another one. Uh, rock and roll singer uh, Dickie Pride was born on October 21st, 1941. And he died on March 26th, 1969. And that was from an overdose of sleeping pills. I guess that guy was addicted to the old uh, sleeping pill and stuff. And back in those days, obviously, it's much easier to get a hold of. Well, I don't know if I don't even know if it's. It might be easy to get a hold of nowadays. I don't know, but I don't. I don't think it'd be too difficult to get a hold of. It depends on the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. I I sometimes have insomnia, and I had a doctor that was kind of like, "All right, I'll give you a little bit of Ambien, but it's not good long term. You know, it just causes more problems. So I don't want you to take it too much. You know, he just wanted me to use it to get onto a sleeping pattern, basically, but. I'm mm-hmm. sure if you find the mm-hmm. right doctor, they will prescribe you whatever, you know, if you've they probably, yeah. if you ever looked into like, like modern drug epi- epidemics, sometimes your best chance of finding a dealer is to go to your doctor. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. Especially in, in recent, recent decades with like the, the, uh, opioid crisis, you know, synthetic opioids, if, if you're getting it from your doctor. And there's a, there's a ton of people that have ended up going on to heroin or fentanyl because they started off with, you know. Uh, Vicodin or Norco, Oxycontin, whatever, you know? Yeah. And I've heard that definitely seems like doctors will, they'll prescribe you some for a certain period of time, but then they'll be like, all right, you're cutting, I'm cutting you off right now. And they don't, they're not really good at doing like uh, a thing where they can wean you off of it or whatever. And then the, the withdrawals Mm -hmm. are so horrible 
that people have to turn to street drugs just to avoid yeah. the atrocious withdrawals that are just really bad from these drugs. Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily surprise me very much that, like, say, like the the whole weaning uh, off the 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 pills or whatever. If it's just your your doctor prescribing you those those pills and giving you less and less, if you're already addicted to them, you're probably going to take them as fast as you can, anyways. Like, if you're an addict, you're an addict. You know, addicts have certain you know habits. So, you know, it's it's a it's a lose lose situation for for anybody who gets hooked on those pills because. They, maybe if they have an addictive personality then they're 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 probably going to overdo it a little bit maybe not necessarily though i was on a medication maybe i'll talk about it more in the after hours but like when i my doctor said okay well you can just stop taking this now just go cold turkey it'll be fine you know if you feel like you're a tough guy like you're a real man this, he was an old guy so he's appealing to my masculinity you know i'm like all right fuck it i'll try it uh-huh. so i after the first day I actually felt pretty good the second day I was so sick I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> it was that mm, bad. Really? Like it was it was legit like when you look when you see a movie about a drug addict, you know, like trembling on the floor in withdrawals. Like it was literally that bad. So I had to start taking it because I needed to function. I had to do I had shit to do. I couldn't just tremble in bed for a week or two, yeah. you know. So it's, it's it like was, that movie uh it wasn't that even movie a movie Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, it wasn't even a matter of being like addicted to it. Like I wasn't taking, it's not a drug you could get high off of. It was just, I was just physically addicted and I could not stop taking it because I just couldn't function. So I, I used a method called, um, bead counting. So you open up the pill and it's, you know, it's got those little beads in there and, um, it, you take away a bead, like once a week, you'll be like, okay, I'll take one, I'll take one bead out of the pill. Next week I'll take two beads out of the pill. So I did that for a long time to wean myself off of it. But maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in the after hours. I don't know. But I mean, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a case of people who are just trying to get high. Some of these drugs, when you stop taking them, they fuck you up. So you, like, you don't yeah. have a choice. You have to keep taking them. And I've experienced that myself personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So who did you say you're going to be doing? Brian Jones? Brian Jones. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll skip that one then. All right. So, all right, uh, the next one I have on my list here is uh, the lead guitarist and singer, um, I'm sorry, leader and singer, uh, co-founder of the band Canned Heat. I'm sure you probably remember Canned Heat. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, they were yeah. they were always on the shelf next to Canna Whoop Ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, uh, this guy's this fellow's name is uh, Alan Blind Owl Wilson, and he was born on July fourth, nineteen forty three. Died September 3rd, 1970 of a drug overdose. And that's actually, I think that as far as the cause of death, drug overdose is probably the most common one or complications from a drug overdose, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'll run through this a little bit here. The ones I looked at though, even though drugs were probably involved, sometimes there was a little bit of strange happenings as well. It wasn't just like, yeah necessarily they just they took too much drugs and then they died but uh you got to take yeah, that on a case-to-case which, basis though well and and the next fella that i'm about to mention is a little bit of tomfoolery i think uh, as far as the the situation goes uh, of like how he died so jimmy hendrix oh the yeah legend the legend himself jimmy jimmy hendrix born on november 27th 1942 uh, died September 18th, 
1970. And so at the time, he was hanging out with his girlfriend in London. I think it was London. And um, they were partying, hanging out and stuff, you know. And uh, they had gone to a uh, friend's house at like 2 a.m. to go hang out, you know, uh, drink and probably, you know, do a little dope, what have you. They hung out there for a little bit. And then uh, I guess his girlfriend made a scene and for whatever reason. And they went back to their their, uh, place. And they hung out for a little while, and uh, at first it said, that, like, uh, I guess he he had taken, like, an amphetamine pill at, at his, his friend's house, so he was having trouble getting to sleep, even though they were, you know, drinking alcohol and stuff and smoking weed, you know? So his girlfriend ended up giving him some pl- sleeping pills, and at first she claimed that she didn't want to give him the sleeping pills, you know, she, and she, she resisted, but she ended up giving in. But it said that uh, she, she gave him nine of these sleeping pills, and I don't I'm sure I could find it out somewhere. I don't know what, exactly what what kind of sleeping pill it was, but uh, at any rate, so um, he t- and that, that I mean, that's a shitload of freaking sleeping pills. Who the I would fuck have takes nine sleeping pills? <laughs> nine sleeping pills, dude. And and you're also drinking and smoking and stuff. And I mean, the 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 confusion your body must be going through, especially even after taking an amphetamine pill a couple hours earlier. You know. Yeah, like uh, your body must have been confused as crap. You know, it didn't know what to do with itself. So at any rate, they fall asleep. She says uh, she wakes up later and um, finds him, you know, unresponsive, and uh, you know, like she couldn't get him to wake up and stuff. So she calls an ambulance. But at this time, from what I understand, uh, he basically uh, vomited and choked on his own vomit. So yeah. asphyxiation was the the basic uh, way he died. So like, but at the same time, like if you're her, his girlfriend, shouldn't you have noticed that? Wouldn't you notice him like vomiting and choking on his vomit? Wouldn't you just like lay him on his uh, stomach or at least put him on his side or something? You know? Well, I don't know. That that's that's the weird part to me. That's one of them. That is weird, but she was probably like really, really high herself. So she was not in her right state of mind. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but it's definitely possible. It does seem strange. If somebody is choking and vomiting, your natural instinct is to try and help them to get them. It might not be to get them to lie on their side or stomach, but at the very least, you're going to try to get them to sit up you're going to, you know, you're going to try to help clear their passage, air passage or whatever. You're not going to just sit there and watch them choke to death. So that is kind of a strange one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so the next legend on the list is the great Jim Morrison. Oh so, yeah. As everybody knows, Jim Morrison was a lead singer of the wildly successful band, the doors, uh, a legend in his own right. And for very good reasons, uh, dude was very talented, a very iconic individual, even to this day, still very iconic. I mean, you still, like, say if you're in L.A. or something, you still see people walking around with uh, Doors shirts on, you know? So, I mean, that's they're, they're, it's pretty impressive what he was able to uh, accomplish and what he was a part of as as uh, being the, the lead man there for the Doors. So, all right, so Jim Morrison was born December 8th, 1942, and he died July 3rd, 1971, of heart failure. And most suspect uh, that he was basically under the influence of heroin, and he was mixing up all sorts of different drugs, whatever. But mostly, his uh, his favorite drug was heroin. So it's it's pretty much likely that he, he had heart failure due to heroin. But 
we don't really know because he was in uh, Paris, France at that time. And um, France law doesn't dictate that you have to have, you know, uh, um, an autopsy done after a death necessarily. Unless like, uh, you know, the court tells you to or something, you know. So that's why we don't know exactly the cause of death with, with uh, Jim Morrison. But uh, I'll go through a couple more of these here. Let's well, see. An- another oh, another one I'd like to mention, though, attached to Jim Morrison is um, what was her name? His girlfriend. So oh, yeah. let me let me just double check my notes here for uh, yeah. So her her name was Pamela Susan Corson. So she actually was in his will, and she inherited his money, all his stuff, basically. And she died a couple of years later, also at the age of 27. Kind of weird. Dun, dun, dun. That's, I mean, that's just, oh, you could do a whole nother little thing on her for, but I mean, we'll move on. But I just wanted to throw that out there because that is just, that's too weird, man. It's just too weird. What what are the chances? He dies. That is crazy. He dies at 27. She inherits all his, all his stuff. You know, his wealth, his worldly goods, all the stuff. And then she dies, she dies at 27. It's crazy. That is uh, quite the coincidence. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt there. <laughs> I, just, I had, to, oh, no, just no had to mention her. No, that was an important, important note to actually make that I, I kind of glanced through, forgot about. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, I had a burp there. I'm drinking some Sammy Adams. All right. So the next person I have on my list here is soul singer Linda Jones. She was born December 14th, 1944, and she died March 14th, 1972. And uh, basically, she died while in a diabetic coma. So it was complications due, due to her being in a diabetic coma. So uh, I don't know. Maybe she was uh, drinking too much orange juice or something. I don't know. But uh, the next one is uh, uh, the guitarist, uh, lead guitarist for the, um, Stone the Crows. And his name was Leslie Harvey, born September 13th, 1944, died May 3rd, 1972. And this is kind of a weird one. Uh, he died from electric, electrocution. Wow. That's no, that's never a, a fun way to go. I've been electrocuted before myself in a couple of different ways, and some of them were stupid, but very painful. But at least, you know, if you survive, once it's over, it's over. You know, uh-huh. but, uh, that's, I, I thought that was kind of a weird one. The next one, Rob McKernan from the band Grateful Dead, which is, you know, I've always been a a fan of. I'm not a deadhead, I would say, but I've always enjoyed their music. At any rate, he was born September 8th, 1945, died March 8th, 1973 from gastrointestinal hemorrhage. That doesn't sound fun. That does not sound fun at all. (laughs) (laughs) I blew my ass out. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> anyways uh next one got some of that old yeah, pink sock action going on there huh oh no that's going too far you, you <laughs> even, just went too far even, even for eta that's too far <laughs> <laughs> the, the the visuals there that i have you know growing in my mind Ugh. okay so then the shout out to att on, on that one <laughs> but yeah <laughs> <laughs> So the next one I have uh, here on my list is a singer of the band called Bloodstone, Roger Lee, uh, Roger Lee Durham. 
He was born February 17th, 1946, died July 27th, 1973, from uh, injuries that he sustained while riding horseback. So he fell off of his horse, and, and uh, from what I understand, he had some like internal uh, bleeding and uh, internal injuries, and he ended up dying from that. guess they didn't get him to the hospital fast enough. But uh, the next one I have here is uh, the bassist for uh, the Stooges, Dave Alexander. Uh, why did I pronounce him like that? Dave Alexander, not Deer. Anyways, I'm not Swedish. Sorry. Uh, I was born. He was born on June 3rd, 1947. Died February 10th, 1975, of pulmonary edema. Uh, you know, I didn't even look at what the hell is pulmonary edema. Isn't that like a stroke? Kind of, let's see. It's something like that. Well, fuck. I don't know. I got the googly, googly machine here, so I'll, I'll check it out. I want most people refer to commonly as an idiot. <laughs> pulmonary so. edema. Let's see here. Pulmonary is a condition caused by too much fluid in the lungs. Okay, I was way off. Oh, okay. <laughs> this fluid collects in the many air sacs of the lungs, making it difficult to breathe. In most cases, heart problems cause pulmonary edema, but fluid can collect in the lungs for other reasons, according to mayoclinic.org. I don't know any more than that. That's all I have. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the last one, I don't want to keep on going on too long with these uh, simple lists here, but the last one I'll mention is the keyboardist and, and guitarist from the, bad, uh, from the band Badfinger, Pete Ham. He was born April 27th, 1947. He died April 24th, 1975 from suicide. Hmm. And uh, I mean, there's, there's so many more people on the list and stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of them definitely seem like it's like a a mix between drug overdoses and suicide. And there's, you know, different stuff, uh, you know, it, you know, sprinkled within the mix, the mix there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it seems like, like, uh, the vast majority of them are either suicide or drug overdose. There are so many of these. It's actually kind of surprising when you start looking, it's, it's more than just, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison. Like there's, there's a ton, a surprising amount. But all right, well, I guess I'll talk about a little bit about uh, my, my notes got messed up here. Let me give me, okay, Brian Jones. Sorry, I, I hit a wrong button and it just messed up my notes, scrolled way to the bottom. All right, so we'll talk about Brian Jones, who also is a member of the 27 Club. He is a founding member of the Rolling Stones, probably just about the biggest group ever. I don't know if, if you're going to look at record sales or whatever, but how many bands can sell out stadiums everywhere they go not that many and the rolling stones is one of them still to this day if they mm -hmm. went on a tour they would sell out they're huge one of the only one of the only bands i think they could compete with them i mean there are other bands but maybe the beatles i mean beatles were bigger elvis was bigger but yeah. not much yeah yeah they're they're in a pretty rare category of super true super stardom so brian jones was one of the founding members he played guitar, he wrote their songs, and he was also a producer. He lived from 1942 to 1969. And of course, as you might imagine, he got caught up in drugs. He was, you know, he was addicted to various things. And at one point it got so bad that he was kicked out of the band. It was, uh, I guess alcohol was one of the big, big ones there. He was just, he was just so messed up that, you know, when they'd go to record, he basically was not able to play his instrument anymore. And they, they had to let him go because, you know, studio time's expensive and you got to get shit done. 
and he could not get it done. So they unfortunately had to let him go. And less than a month after he was kicked out of the band, he was found dead in his swimming pool at his home, apparently having gone swimming while high on a mixture of alcohol and downers and possibly some other stuff. But there are some question marks surrounding his death. Here's a quote from Keith Richards, who is also a guitarist to still to this day of the Rolling Stones. Keith Richards said, and still the mystery of his death hasn't been solved. I don't know what happened, but there was some nasty business going on. So just, you know, his, his bandmates don't think that it was an accident. They don't think that it was an overdose and that he went swimming and died naturally or whatever. He lived in a, he lived in a farm, the Crotchford farm, which was a 16th century farmhouse. And just a little interesting factoid is that that house had previously been owned by the author of Winnie the Pooh and certain locations in that story, like the hundred acre woods or whatever, were based on that property. I guess the property had a hundred acres, you know, for example, which is, you know, kind of a fun little detail. So Jones got the house originally because he was living in London and he was being harassed constantly by Norman Pilcher, who was a Scotland Yard police sergeant. And they were really, really going after musicians and celebrities for drugs. This is something that the older establishment saw as a threat to society, and they were really going after people for it. And Jones was so sick of being constantly harassed that he decided to buy a house out in the middle of friggin' nowhere just to get away from it all, you know, to get some peace and quiet so he could get high without being harassed, you know? <laughs> You're marshing my mellow, man. All right, so he hired a handyman through Tom Keylock, who was this shadowy figure that supplied drugs to the stones and had connections to the underworld you know, the criminal underworld. That's who he hired the handyman through. But the construction crew was read by red was led. The construction crew was led by a dude named Frank Thorogood. And he, he and his construction crew apparently moved into the house and just partied a bunch, basically taking advantage of Jones's wealth and celebrity. And they would just do as they please. They made themselves at home. I can imagine you know, if, if you're in this construction crew, you're going out to a bar and you're like, Hey, Hey, Hey lady, guess what house I'm staying at. Why don't you come back? We're having a party, you know, perfect pickup line. You know, I'm, I could only imagine the shenanigans that ensued, but they weren't getting a whole lot of work done. They were causing trouble. Jones had went there for peace and quiet that he was not getting because of the construction crew who were causing all sorts of ruckuses. So he got fed up and kicked them out on July 2nd. And he was found dead after midnight on July 3rd, very, very shortly thereafter. Coincidence? I don't know. I don't know. Pretty weird, though. He was found in his pool, like I said, having apparently drowned. But the coroner's report changed from drowning to death by misadventure. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. I don't know. Apparently the autopsy showed that he had about three pints of beer in his system, as well as some uppers and downers, which it sounds bad, 
but he was, he was a seasoned drug addict and also apparently he was a strong swimmer and in fairly good physical condition as dude, anybody in their twenties is in fairly good physical condition. Let's be real. But I mean, he was, he was reported to be a very good swimmer and like for your seasoned addict, three pints of beer is nothing. That is not even an appetizer. That is a drop in the bucket. That is, that's like, that's when they're thinking about getting drunk they'll take a whiff of alcohol by drinking three pints of beer. That's when they're just thinking about warming up. That, you know, that's nothing. That is nothing to a seasoned alcoholic. So, it, you know, if if he had about three pints of beer in his system, I don't know if that would cause him to drown if he went swimming. It just, it doesn't really add up. Also, apparently he had fresh water in his lungs that was different than the pool water. So it was not the pool water. It was just fresh, clean water kind of weird. There was a trough of fresh water near his garden. And some people speculate that he was drowned in that trough. And later analysis determined that his heart tissue was stress, which was, was stressed, which would indicate that he was, um, he was struggling at the time of his death as if somebody was holding his head underwater, maybe. Uh, it was, it was not something that would happen if he just went unconscious and drowned. It was not, they wouldn't cause that kind of stress. Apparently. I don't know. I'm not a doctor or whatever. So I'll, I can only take somebody else's word with it, but it's word for it, but it's still pretty interesting. The witnesses that were there have conflicting statements and we're not even a hundred percent sure how many witnesses were there. Some versions of the story say that there were only three other people there when he died, his girlfriend, and two others. So Anna Warlin, Janet Lawson, and Frank. Other testimonies say that some crew members, Tom Keylock and Suki Portier, who was his ex-girlfriend, were also there. Um, that one is probably a little bit more likely, but who knows? There are other things involved in this case too. There's a lot of politics going on at the time. And police used his death as an example. Well, the government really used his death as an example of what would happen if you weren't good boys and girls. If you started listening to rock and roll and taking drugs, you would end up dead in a pool just like this guy. That's kind of how they spun the story. Uh, And that was kind of the end of it back then. It was pretty much just sort of left on the wayside. The police didn't want anything to do with it because the police and a lot of more, I guess, conservative society who were not into the rock and roll scene saw him as a degenerate and they didn't really care about how he died. They didn't, didn't not really matter to them that much. Uh, but over the years, the the story has developed a little bit. The case has been opened and closed three times over the years by the police and other things have come out that have been kind of interesting. For example, It turns out that Frank, at one point, Frank beat his girlfriend nearly to death, possibly because she wanted to talk to the police. Anna Wolin said, here's a quote, I don't know if Frank meant to kill Brian. Maybe it was horseplay in the pool that went wrong, but I knew all along he did not die a natural death. I'm still sure of it. That's kind of an interesting quote there. Tom Keylock came out many years later and said, that he was there that night 
and his brother, Frank Keelock, who was an officer at Scotland Yard, hold on, record scratch, isn't Tom Keelock the underworld shadowy figure guy? Kind of weird that his brother is a cop. But Frank told Tom that it was a cover-up job. And here's a quote. I think the police wanted to make a manslaughter charge, but they were told to forget it. The only one who could possibly have been charged was Frank Thorogood, because he was the only one in the pool, but police said just forget it. The orders came from the very top not to pursue it anymore, and it never was pursued after that. We don't know why. We can only speculate. Was it politically motivated? In other words, they wanted to make an example of him. You know, don't do drugs and play guitar or you'll end up dead in a pool. Or was there corruption at the very highest levels of government and they didn't want it investigated because that could potentially out people who are corrupt? I don't know. It's, you know, we can only speculate. We don't know for sure, but it's kind of interesting just to think about it. At at the very least, there definitely appears to have been some shenanigans afoot. Other than that, we don't really know. Keylock also said that Frank confessed on his deathbed. He said, it was me that did Brian. I just finally snapped. That's what Keylock said that Frank said on his deathbed. And, you know, did Brian would be obviously not a sexual term, but a term that he murdered him. But it turns out that Keylock maybe might have more to do with it than you think, because he probably covered up something himself. He was witnessed burning lots of personal papers at Brian's house, and he took a lot of Brian's really expensive stuff from around the house, including his Rolls Royce that he somehow ended up with. So that's another, that's another angle. You're like, well, you don't just take somebody's Rolls Royce. That's a little bit suspicious. I don't know. Uh, all the witnesses are unfortunately passed away by now. Tom Keylock, interestingly enough, died 40 years to the day after Brian did on July 2nd, two thousand. And nine coincidence. I don't know. Kind of an interesting number. We'll probably never know for sure, but I have put this one on the list because I only had a chance to look into it a little bit. I didn't have a chance to do the deep dive and there seems to be quite a lot going on in this case enough, easily enough to do a whole episode on. And I want to know more. What more can I find out about this case? There's definitely a lot of weird stuff going on here. Just a little epilogue. Pilcher, the the sergeant, the guy who was harassing Brian, was actually eventually convicted of conspiracy to pervert justice in 1972 because he was harassing the shit out of people and sentenced to four years in prison. But he said that, hey, it wasn't me. I'm not corrupt. I'm not a bad guy. I was actually just following orders from up top, which, you know, given the political climate and just how much certain parts of society absolutely hated other parts of society, it's believable. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know. But, you know, if you, if you look back at anecdotes from the time, like for example, the Beatles having long hair and (laughs) I don't know you you've heard of this agent ETA, what their mop tops were a bad influence. Kind of yeah, well, or? people will complain about them having long hair and looking like hippies and stuff. I don't know. It was just a strange time back then. 
But anyways, that's like the short, short version of this case. And I hope to look into it again in the future. So that's just a little bit of the 27 Club. Uh, we don't have time to go into that much detail for each and every single victim, but quite a lot of them died under unusual circumstances. Not necessarily as unusual as Brian or Robert Johnson. Those are two of the ones that really caught my attention, which is why I talked about them. But still, a lot of weird stuff happened. So let's get into some of the major theories. What's behind the 27 Club? Do you have any thoughts or ideas on what could be the cause? Is it just a synchronicity? What do you think, Agent ETA? Mama said 27 Club the devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ma I mean, Ma Mama said alligators is ornery because they have what was it too much teeth or something I don't know <laughs> I forget they got, yeah. they got all them teeth or something I forget what it is yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah, that movie, I don't know like, that movie is so oh, stupid and yet so entertaining at the same time yeah yeah for sure I mean, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of quotable lines from that <laughs> but uh, yeah as far as the 27 club goes like I don't know like I think it might be one of these cases where a lot of these people made a deal with the devil to become as talented as they did become. And maybe they didn't become as influential as uh, someone like Robert Johnson, but they still pay the price nonetheless, you know? Yeah. That is one of the major ideas is selling the soul to the devil. Some other ideas out there are that there is just some sort of karma involved. Uh, maybe these people did something bad and deserved it, or maybe they, you know, they, their fame rose too quickly. They got too close to the sun kind of a thing. Um, skeptics say that statistically, actually, that the number of musicians that die at age 27 is in line with what you would expect from the general populace. However, I don't know if they're including all musicians because there's a lot of musicians out there. <laughs> you know, You know what I mean? But... It seems like very, very famous musicians, if you narrow it down to that subset, maybe the numbers would be a little different. So I take that one with a grain of salt. I don't know. Um, there's a ton of other ideas out there. For example, in numerology, 27 reduces to nine and nine has something to do with the end of a cycle. And when the cycle ends, that can cause bad things for people sometimes, I guess. I don't really understand that one. But there's a bunch of stuff like that out there. There's a whole lot of different theories. But the main theory is basically, like ETA said, selling your soul to the devil to get fame. And then, you know, at some point you have to pay for that. But I think also if you're going to sell your soul to the devil, you have to be clever about it because Jimmy Page did it and you know he didn't die at 27 so is he still around even he I think he's still around right yeah 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 as far as I know yeah I don't think he's passed away I, I haven't heard of him passing away let's see you look at Wikipedia James Patrick Page is an English musician yeah so he's still around if Wikipedia says is then he's still around yeah so I mean he's he sold his soul to the devil and he is still alive and kicking alive and well so you got to be really good at your negotiation skills or just don't do it at all because what's fame good for anyways, you know, if you can't go to the grocery store and shop for groceries without being harassed by fans, I don't know, dude, that's got to be pretty stressful. I would not, I would not like that if every time you run outside the, every time you leave your house, somebody you're running up to you trying to grab hair off your head and steal your clothes as a souvenir or whatever, that's got to get stressful. I don't know. Uh, oh, sure. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's all we got for you on the 27 Club. Um, I don't really have any final thoughts on this one. It's just weird. Maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe there's something supernatural going on here. But uh, as far as I could find, I didn't really see anything that convinced me one way or the other. But there are an awful lot of them that died in strange ways, uh, you know, bizarre deaths and that kind of thing. Also, a lot of drug addicts. So maybe the more famous you are, yeah. the more more money and free time you have, the more likely you are to die of a drug overdose. I don't know. Any final thoughts, Agent ETA? Yeah, I think that's likely. A lot of these people, you know, like like we were talking about before, a lot of them were drug overdoses. And I mean, if you have access to limitless uh, amounts of drugs and you also have enough money to be high all the time, you're probably likely to overdo it at some point, you know? Yeah. So a lot of these deaths don't uh, surprise me, you know? Yeah, especially a handful of these individuals were known for kind of going overboard, you know, and there's, there's some that we didn't even mention, like one of the more recent ones, Amy Winehouse, which we didn't, we didn't even talk about her, but that's a whole lot. I mean, there's this one, we could go on quite a lot longer, but I think it's, um, I don't know, good, good time to wrap it up. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you'd like to help us out, you could do so by, um, suggesting the show to your friends, giving us a good review and liking the show wherever you listen until next time. Keep it strange.